And today as we bring that to a close, we ask one final question. Well, how then shall we live? What should characterize our life? Knowing all the things that we've talked about uh, in the past four weeks about what a biblical worldview means for us, in other words, that now that we know that God has created us, God has given us a purpose in life, God has laid out a standard of morality for us that is solely for our good, based on his love for us, and perhaps most importantly of all, that even though we have sinned, that God graciously provides us a Savior in Jesus, and through him we have that blessed destiny of life eternal with God in heaven. Based on all that then, our question is, how does that impact our life? How shall we then live? And for the biblical perspective on that, we now turn our pages of, of Scripture to Genesis chapter 4. And there, even in this somewhat tragic story of Cain and Abel, we find that biblical perspective on what should characterize our life. So listen to the text. From Genesis chapter 4, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? This is the word of God for our consideration today. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, this may sound like a somewhat strange question, but bear with me if you would. Have you ever thought about what you might like to have as an epitaph on your headstone someday? I, I know that's kind of out of style, having headstones and epitaphs, but, but if you were to have one, what would you have it say? Or, or what do you think somebody might put on it for you or about you? Or what would you like to have someone say about you in a eulogy? Or what do you think they w might say about you in a eulogy? Now perhaps those are a little bit uh, morbid for your taste this morning, but I think it's a good exercise to get us thinking about what would characterize your life, or what should characterize your life. Oh, and there are a number of good qualities that would be worth having ascribed to us, that we'd love to have describe us. The, uh, biblical ones like humility and compassion and kindness, faithfulness. But this morning, based on the text that we just read, I would have you characterize your life 
with generosity. To live your life in such a way that people would look at you and say, "Mm, he or she lives so generously. And understand by that, I I don't just mean handing out money willy-nilly. But by generosity, I mean having a giving heart in whatever form or fashion it takes. And doing so willingly and without compulsion. We'll see if I can get this thing to stay on yet today. Sorry. But that's what generosity means. Pardon me for a minute. Technical difficulties with my ear. Generosity means to give, sacrifice what we want or need for the sake of others and doing so willingly. And so the question of the day then, how shall we live, is answered here in Genesis chapter 4 by saying, people of God live generously. And through that story of Cain and Abel, we see and learn to live generously both in our relationship with God and in our relationship with each other. So I know that this story is most well known for recording the first murder, unfortunately. But don't miss the first part of that story. Don't go too quickly past it because that's where we learn about living in our relationship with God. And generosity, mind you, must first and foremost begin with our relationship with God. Now, Abel exemplified that, didn't he? And Cain, well, not so much. So what did it say in that regard? It said, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. You know, what's most interesting to me about this part of the story is that God was displeased with Cain because of an offering that he brought. Cain's act of worship, right? It wasn't as if Cain had slept in that morning and didn't bring an offering at all. It wasn't as if Cain had done some gross act of misconduct like like cheating on his taxes or getting drunk or or saying something really mean and nasty to somebody. It was Cain's act of worship of all things. And I can almost hear Cain saying, Really, God? I I brought you an offering. What more do you want? How can you be unhappy with that? And yet God was clearly unhappy, as it says, right? Why? That's the important question to understand here. Why was God so unhappy with an act of offering on Cain's part? And apparently it's because Cain's heart was not in it. For whatever reason, I don't know, maybe he, he just woke up and he did it out of routine. He wanted to just check it off his list for that day. But clearly his heart wasn't in it. And we know that because it stands in contrast to Abel's offering. What did it say about Abel's offering? He brought the firstborn of his flock, showing a complete trust in God's providence. And he gave from that the fat portions. He was giving the best of the best. And the real key to understanding what's going on here 
is found in the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, which some of you astute theologians out there might recognize. Hey, that's that great faith chapter, the great chapter of faith, listing out all the Bible heroes, how they live by faith. And guess who's first on that list? It's Abel. Even though there's only this, this real tiny snippet about Abel in the, in the Bible, he gets first on the list. And what does it say about him? It says, by faith. Abel made his offering. And there's the key. Clearly, Abel's offering was made from the heart. A heart of faith that knew God and knew God's goodness and loved God and wanted to give Him the best. And unfortunately, Cain's offering was not from the heart. Now, Does that get you thinking about your own offerings, your own acts of worship? It gets me thinking about it. So imagine if God showed up at your house later today and said, okay, it's time for your performance review of your worship. How do you think that conversation would go? What might God be saying about your worship? Would you find maybe yourself kind of maybe defending yourself? Maybe thinking some of the things Cain might have been thinking? Well, hey God, you know, hey, at least I showed up today, or at least I tuned in online. Unlike everybody else down the block, who knows what they're doing today? Would you find yourself saying, hey God, I, I said all the things I was supposed to say, even kind of saying a little bit anyway. Hey God, you know, I gave an offering, or I give offerings. What more do you want, God? You know what God would say, don't you? He'd say, I want all of you. I want all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. I want you all in with me. That's the lesson that we learn here today. God wants more than just our mere outward acts of worship. He wants a heart that just can't help but worship Him. Would you believe me if I said, hey, God doesn't care whether or not you're here today. Would that surprise you? God doesn't care whether you're here. God doesn't care whether you're tuning in online. God cares whether or not you want to be here, whether you want to tune in, that you just couldn't wait to get here and be and participate in the worship of your God and Savior. It is not our acts of worship that please God so much as a a loving, grateful, thankful, faith-filled heart that just can't help but worship, and from which those acts of worship flow. I once heard the story of a man who showed up at a worship service, and when it came time for the offering plate, back in those good old days, you might remember when they passed an offering plate around, and he was uh, kind of taken off guard by that uh, point in, in the service. And so he pulled out his wallet real quick and, and put a bill in, passed the offering plate to the next person. Well, after the service, he, uh, something occurred to him and he checked his wallet and uh, sure enough, there was that $5 bill still in his wallet that he thought he had put in. And missing from his wallet was the $50 bill that he knew he had. And so he, he caught pastor's attention and, and pulled him over and he said, uh, somewhat embarrassingly, he said, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit ashamed here, but uh, <clears throat> I just realized I put 
a $50 bill into the offering plate, and I meant to give a $5 offering. I hope you understand. To which the wise, astute pastors said, I understand. I hope you understand that you really did give God a $5 offering. You get his point? You understand what he was saying? God doesn't care about the amount of the offering. God cares about the amount of faith and love from which that offering was given. And that's true not just for money, but for any of our acts of worship, whether it be our praying, our singing, our listening, our reading of Scripture, our just being here. God wants it to come from the heart. That we're not just showing up because we have to, but because we want to be in His house. That's what it means to live generously in our relationship to God. Now, it's not easy to be all in all the time with God like that, is it? I know. I'll admit, my heart is not always in it. And what God said to Cain really applies to all of us in that regard. What did he say? Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. People of God, sin is crouching at the door for all of us. How in the world do you master it like God told Cain to do? Well, I'll tell you this, you don't master it by digging down deep inside of yourselves to to make stronger resolutions, to make grand, beautiful promises to God that you'll do better. As heartfelt as those may be, remember the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You master sin from your knees. You know what I mean by that? You master sin through a life of repentance by at least metaphorically getting down on your knees in humility and confessing your sin to God and then looking in faith to Jesus as the one who has truly and ultimately and really and truly mastered sin for you. The one who who took sin on himself, your sin on himself, and crucified it, did away with it. The one who, even though sin was crouching at the door, the one who shut the door, locked the key, and, and, and then threw away the key. You master sin every day when you remember those precious waters of baptism that have washed over you. Baptism in which Scripture says your sinful nature was drowned. It was done away with. Baptism, which Scripture says, in which you were united with Christ, raised with Him as a new creation, no longer slaves to sin. It can't rule over you because you are united with the one who rules over it. And once you realize how amazing God's grace is in that regard, how awesome it is that Jesus, the the great master of sin, has mastered that sin for you, I guarantee you can't help 
But worship and pray and sing to God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, because that will just overflow from you naturally. Sunday mornings won't be able to get here quick enough when you realize how gracious God has been to you. You can't help but just eat up God's Word and can't get more of it. It will be so sweet, sweeter than honey, sweeter than chocolate ice cream to your taste. In other words, when you realize how generous God has been to you, you can't help but live generously back to Him. Now, generosity to God is one thing, but let me give you a warning. That's only the first thing. Because generosity like that in your heart and in your life has a snowball effect. It is going to overflow in your relationship with everyone else around you. For Cain, unfortunately, it snowballed in the other direction, didn't it? His lack of generosity towards God, his lack of taking God up on that opportunity to repent, well, we know how that story ended. So now Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Hmm. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? And you know what? Unrepentant sin has a way of doing that, doesn't it? But let me ask you the more important question. How would you answer Cain? How would you answer and reply to Cain's question? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you would say. Yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. We are all keepers one for another. God has made us a community and built us and knit us together to take care of one another in this journey through life. Do you remember a few weeks ago when, when Pastor taught us about the biblical worldview for our purpose in life? He did so with three L words. I know you all remember this. Right? God has given us purpose in terms of our labor, in terms of our laud, which was that fancy word for worship, and which, by the way, we've just really finished talking about. And God has given us purpose in terms of our Love for one another. And he went on to further explain, God has designed us with a we, not me, mentality. God has made us truly brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just brothers like Cain and Abel, but brothers and sisters, a family in Christ. And even outside of our Christian fellowship, God still says, love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemies even. God has made us all responsible keepers one for another. And so we, we do strive not to hurt our, or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need. We seek to live generously for everybody else that we, in whatever way we can. All right, so let me ask you, how does that generosity towards others look like in your life? Let's say at home. What might generosity look like at home? Might it look like, like what some of the kids said, that maybe you pick up some chores that even though they're not normally yours to do? 
Or maybe you know that when one spouse is extra busy with work or other responsibilities that you take some of the slack up in the responsibilities of running the house and do it without grumbling, without just talk about, well, it's fair and what's not fair. What does generosity look like outside the home? Say, for example, to your, your neighbor. Well, let's say who's now got a yard full of branches and debris because of a storm that blew through. Do you say, well, I mean, I've got my own yard to take care of. He's got a yard crew. Or might you say, hey, let him save a few bucks this time. I'll clean his yard up while I'm cleaning up mine. What might it look like at work when your boss is praising you for a job well done on a project, a project that you and some other colleagues and teammates work together on? What might it look like when somebody starts to gossip to you? Or you hear something about it. Might you be generous in putting the best construction on the situation? What might it look like when somebody hurts you, says something mean to you, sins against you in some way, and it's wounded you deeply? Can you be generous with your forgiveness? What might generosity even look like to strangers? How about at the drive through at Starbucks? Could you possibly pay for the person in line behind you? I know their coffee is expensive, but is it, are you going to bankrupt you? Well, maybe. Well, what about even driving down the road? Can you spare five seconds in your trip to allow that car to come over into your lane? Hey, we could go on and on and on, but I trust you can find all kinds of examples to show and live generously in your relationships with others. And in fact, I know you have. I know you have lived generously. I know that some of you have shown such generous hearts to, to, to Bill and Norma when Bill was recently hospitalized. I know even now you're showing generosity to, to Pat and his family as he deals with the cancer. I know from my own experience when a number of you a couple years ago when we moved to town just showed up at our door to help us unload our truck. You were strangers to me at the time. Even in the rain, you helped me unload that truck. And I know you volunteer and serve here in the church and in the school in various ways. And, and I'm sure out in the community in ways I don't even know. And I know this, that there's only one reason for all of that. It's because you know how generous God has been to you. You know that your God gave you the most generous gift He could give His one and only Son, Jesus who in turn gave you the most generous gift he could, his own life, his own body and blood, suffered the pains of death itself for little old sinners like you and me. In other words, you know the goodness of God in your life. And it shows. And keep up the good work. Oh, there's, there's plenty more to do, isn't there? There's always more ways that we can live generously to each other. In my uh, opening questions, if uh, those were a little too morbid for your taste, hey, I apologize for that. And you know what? Maybe thinking of our life going forward instead of thinking of it in retrospect is the better way to go anyway. After all, that's the question for the day. How shall we live going forward? And hopefully you've seen here in this account of Cain and Abel that answer to live generously. 
to live generously first and foremost to your God and Savior in the many facets of your worship life, flowing from a grateful heart and living generously to others in whatever relationships might cross your path. But brothers and sisters of Christ, always remember this one thing about living generously. Even though sin is always crouching at your door, you master it. You rule over it. Because Jesus ruled over it for you. And that's the same Jesus that even now lives and rules in your hearts. In other words, you live generously because he first lived generously for you. And even now lives generously through you. And for that good news, all God's people say, Amen. And now may that peace of God that passes all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.